Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to the Radically Loved Podcast. This is Tessa. I'm very excited to introduce you to our guest today. We have Heyman Sunim on the podcast, who is a Zen Buddhist teacher um, and an, the author of the book that just came out this year in January, When Things Don't Go Your Way, subtitle Zen Wisdom for Difficult Times, which is so appropriate right now. Are you with me? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Um, so Heyman was born in South Korea and he came to the United States to study film and he found himself in a spiritual life. <laughs> so Heyman, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Um, I'd love to start off by having you tell us a little bit of your origin story. I think that's an interesting, I always love to hear about how people like think they're going one direction in their life and then they end up in what what might sound like on the surface going a completely opposite direction, like such as your, your background studying film and then becoming a Zen Buddhist teacher and author. Oh, yes. Um, first of all, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> um, I think my uh, journey, uh, it actually relates to the topic of my book, you know, when things don't go your way, because inten initially I thought that I would want to be a movie director, film director. As I was studying uh, in undergraduate at uh, UC Berkeley, um, I began to really interested in um, fundamental questions. You know, why are we here? Uh, who are, you know, what happened when we die? Um, I felt as though I was thrown into this world without any kind of manual. You know, we have to just <laughs> figure it out. You know, why we are here? What's the purpose? And what are the meanings? And I really like the title, Radically Loved, um, regardless, you know, no matter what, you know, I think we deserve to be loved. <laughs> and this unconditional love is one of the teachings that I try to expound. Um, like the way my life journey has been, um, it, it's very appropriate to my new book, you know, When Things Don't Go Away, because initially I wanted to become a movie director. And then uh, I became really engrossed in the uh, most fundamental human questions, such as who are we? You know, why are we born? You know, what happened, what happened when we die? And I felt as though I was just thrown into this world without any kind of uh, explanation or manual, you know? So I was hoping that somebody would uh, teach me, you know, why we are here. And therefore, I became very interested in religions and meditations, uh, psychology, and that's the journey I ended up taking. Uh, initially, I was uh, just studying the scriptures and, you know, theories and whatnot, but I ended up, you know, really wanted to have personal experience, and that's why I decided to become a monk and, uh, you know, join the monastic, you know, life. Um, 
and then I one thing led to another. Uh, I finished my PhD in Buddhism, and I taught uh, in a small, you know, liberal art college in Massachusetts for several years. And then at that time, I uh, wrote a book called "Things You Can See Only When You Slow Down," and that particular book became uh, hugely successful in South Korea, and then later on uh, around the world. And because of it, I decided to quit being uh, in academics and started School for Broken Hearts in South Korea. And while I was, you know, serving other people in that nonprofit organizations, uh, I was asked, you know, a lot of questions about, you know, my life is not going this way or that way. What am I supposed to do? And so, you know, whenever people are asking me that questions, I I realized that, you know, there are very Typical themes, you know, themes about not being able to accept yourself. You know, you know, what are we doing? You know, what are we supposed to do? You know, when people reject me, you know, uh, the feeling of life disappointments or burnout, or you know, the the feeling of jealousies, uh, or you know, the just facing uncertainty in life. What are we supposed to do? So I was writing, you know, different types of essays uh, in addressing those issues. So, and then uh, something happened in my life <laughs> and they took me to another, you know, track, you know, completely. Uh, and- Why are we here and what happens to us when we die? And I was curious, you know, as you became more and more entrenched in your study um, and, you know, people, do people ask you that question too? Do they ask you the question, why am I here? What happens to us when I die? And yeah, I guess this is a two-part question. That's one. And the second part is, do you feel any closer to having an answer for them or for yourself for that matter? Um, yes, people do ask that questions, especially, you know, a lot of young people. Um, mm-hmm. They do ask that, you know, fundamental questions. Uh, or when we are having, you know, like life crisis, you know, when you have some kind of illness, you're facing with your own illness, or you realize that you are growing uh, older and uh, asking these big questions. Um, so I think, you know, although a lot of people are, you know, just very busy living day-to-day life, you know, trying to take care of our family and doing good at work and all that, all that. And but from time to time, I think we do, you know, ask ourselves, you know, what's the whole purpose, you know? What's the whole meaning of what I'm doing in my own existence? Uh, does it even matter? You know. So, uh, to answer your second question, <laughs> uh, I think uh, one of the purpose I, I believe is to uh, know who we are. We are here to realize who we are. Mm. And how do we go about doing that? How do we figure out who we are? I mean, do you think it's possible in a single lifetime? As I think this also brings up the question of reincarnation and the idea that, you know, we're reincarnated from life to life to maybe fulfill our soul's purpose. Is there like an end to that? So another two-part question, how do we figure that out, who we are? And is it... 
is the lifelong pursuit? Is it something that we can achieve in this lifetime? Is it something that many, many people come back um, time after time to continue to figure out? Um, well, you know, there are a couple of different ways to answer this, but um, because I'm a Zen Buddhist, you know, if I am to approach it from Zen Buddhist you know, point of view, uh, I think if we can uh, see ourselves, you know, truly as we are, you know, um, beyond our own labels, beyond our, our ident identifications, you know, we tend to identify ourselves with our body, emotion and thoughts and all of them is just coming and going you know uh it and we also don't have a full control over it. and then you know what is that which is always remain you know what is that which is constant uh as you uh, go deeply into that questions uh, i actually talk about that in my book you know uh, that is um, my awareness it is the our awareness that is constant um, the awareness itself uh, doesn't have any quality of its own. However, uh, it knows. This very knowing quality, which does not have any form or shape, and nevertheless, it is always here. And uh, because it is it's only through our ideas and thoughts and emotions uh, that limit ourselves, that is, we are such and such, you know, that is, I am American or I am, you know, you know, you know, like I am doing, I'm mother, you know, I am, you know what I mean? If you just identify yourself to a narrow role and, and, and then um, that is just a, you know, role that you're playing. The real you is that which knows the role, not the role itself. And mm -hmm. that which knows everything doesn't have any form or shape and because he never was born he will never die hmm. do you believe in your practice and and this can be in the zen buddhist tradition or just in your own personal life that the best way to kind of strip away all these labels and categories that we apply to ourselves and over identify with is through a practice like meditation. What, what sort of practices help us remember, realize um, the essence of who we really are? When we sit and meditate, you know, a lot of thoughts and emotions, it starts to bubbling up, right? And then we tend to identify, you know, with, some you know some thoughts you know just because a thought is there uh we begin to identify ourselves with those thoughts so those thoughts become my thoughts you know or my emotions but if you look at it you did not intend to produce those kind of thoughts you didn't intend to produce you know those kind of emotions it just naturally appeared and then when the time passes it also naturally disappears. Um, so uh, rather than um, trying to grab onto, you know, each and every emotion and thought bubbling up and, you know, trying to claim the ownership of it, if you can just witness, you know, see it, it as though you are watching a movie, you know, your thought is like a different character, you know, that is bubbling up and doing things. And then if you can just, you know, observe it, as it is, then you'll see that all those things just come and go. 
you know, without you doing anything, mm. you know? So yeah. then uh, the question is, is what is that which is watching all this show, you know, all this <laughs> coming and going, you know, what is that which is watching, you know, mm. what is the watcher? What is the observer? What is that? It's that which is observing. What is it? And is the goal to answer, to be able to answer that question? What is it? What is the watcher? Yeah. What is that which it knows? Uh, the different emotions or different you know, thoughts coming and going. And rather than just easily identifying yourself with those thoughts and emotions, and, and you say, I have this thought and th that emotions, if you delve into, try to look into the observer itself, then something magical happens. You know, something, you know, dramatic transformations happen. Uh, that's where the beauty is. That's where the uh, ultimate answer lies. Mm. It seems to me like there's so many things that get in the way, like you were describing thoughts that bubble up, different characters that we over-identify with. And I think for me, and I've, I heard you talk about this too in the book, it, it, there's a lot, and we all have our own triggers, right? Depending on you know our life experience. But one that I really identified with you uh, discussing in the book is the fear of abandonment. Um, I was wondering if you'd share more about that experience for you and how you've used it as a tool for self-discovery, as a tool for a stepping stone to being not better better is not the right word but do you know what i mean <laughs> yes yes you Thank know, you. understanding ourselves in, yeah. in a deeper way yes absolutely so you know whenever a difficult thing has happened in your life uh, i want you to remember nothing is final you know and there is no set way to see things you know depending on how you see things uh, it can become a you know event that will uh, totally destroy you or it can be an uh, event that can be a stepping stone to self-discovery. And this becomes a, you know opportunity for you to do something even better, you know? So um, for me, uh, a couple uh, years ago, I, I appeared on Korean uh, national uh, televisions. And after appearing it, and there are lots of... Um, People critic start criticizing me. Uh, not many people, but you know, small number of people uh, having uh, making all kinds of you know unfound you know rumors that you know I that it was very difficult at the time. You know, all those uh, negative comments that I was receiving. Mm -hmm. But the the most difficult part was that you know one of my monastic brothers, you know, he uh, start uh, talk very publicly, you know, condemning me. Uh, so at that moment, uh, you know, like I just could not deal with, you know, everything that was happening at the same time. So I had to take some, I had to took some uh, break and try to uh, recollect and become uh, a little more reflective, you know, what's happening in my life. And as I was doing it, you know, I realized that one of my deepest fear is the uh, fear of abandonment. You know, I was afraid to be abandoned. <laughs> and uh, so whenever like somebody, you know, cancel a dinner appointment, you know, all of a sudden, then I find myself alone 
I, I really did not like that feeling, you know. Or if I text somebody and then the person uh, is not replying within 24 hours or something, you know, I begin to worry, you know, what's happening, you know. So, um, and one of the worry was that, uh, you know, maybe I might be abandoned by the, uh, my uh, fan, you know, people who've been, you know, loving my book um, and, uh, you know, things like that. So in South Korea, you know, while I was going through and something similar thing was happening to me and I was wondering what's really happening, you know, what's the source of this uh, fear of abandonment? Why am I, you know, experiencing this? Because, you know, whatever the experience we have, it has some lesson to be learned in it. So I tried to understand what is the lesson, you know, what's really happening. And then as I was asking myself, you know, this journey of healing, that is to um, understand what is my really deepest fear? What am I really afraid of? And then the finally, the fear of uh, abandonment, you know, came up. And then I had a, this flashback. That was when I was really young, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe three or four. I don't know. I was super young. And then I was with my mother in the open market. And I was, um, I lost my mom, you know, to, mm -hmm. and, and I tried to look for my mom, you know, and somehow, I don't know how I got separated from my mother, but somehow I lost my mom and I was looking everywhere. And then this uh, very old lady came up to me and then she said, I, can, I could take you to your mom uh so i went you know along with her and then uh, she took me to a very strange place and i saw old man and so i thought something was really terribly wrong so i started running you know <laughs> so i went back to the market as fast as i could at that time and then uh but i had lots of fears and you know lots of uh you know angers and and uh anxiety and all of that and then i finally found my mother you know who was desperately looking for me uh, but because the memory uh, that particular memory was so painful for me i think i might have might have uh, repressed it you know deeply and so um i begin to you know talk to my you know inner child that is you know four years old me you know who was standing helplessly, uh, hopelessly, uh, looking for my mother. Uh, so I begin to talk to uh, my uh, you know, four years old self, you know. So what I did was I actually uh, put the photo of myself, you know, three or four years old, you know, there was a photo of me and then put it on the basic you know, background image of my cell phone, you know. So whenever I turn on cell phone, there is my photo. And so I would talk to my inner child. That is, you, you, be, you are safe. You know, I love you. I, I'm not going to abandon you. You know, I will love you no matter what. You know, I'm here with you. You know, so I have to constantly, uh, you know, this you know, sending out this showering you know, love, love for this four years old, you know, kid. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a very um, interesting journey for me uh, because whenever we have a difficult time, you know, there there is a secret door right behind. If you just go through it, uh, it's going to lead you to deeper understanding of you. I always, I often think about inner child work and um, like the, the, 
the idea or the practice of speaking to yourself in a loving way as a helpful tool. And also what typically will come up for me when I try that work is a lot of resistance. Like there's this judge that's, or the, you know, kind of the classic uh, angel and devil on your shoulder. One saying, love yourself, be kind, be gentle. Um, remember that it's all going to be okay. Remember that you're okay. And then the other one's like, what if it's not, um, you know, this has happened before and you don't deserve it. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, in your teachings and your writings, do people, do people resist the inner child work? Do people resist the idea that they can speak lovingly to themselves? And if so, what is your advice to kind of get over that hump? Right. I mean, it's more difficult to uh, talking, you know, lovingly to yourself now, <laughs> you know, but if you're, if you're to do it to your innocent, you know, little you know, child when you are three or four or five years old, I think it becomes much easier because you know that uh, that boy or that girl didn't um, cause that kind of uh, problems, you know, uh, they're innocent. Um, so, and also if you are uh, having a difficult time uh, giving a lot of self-acceptance, uh, you know, those very uh, cheerful and loving uh, remarks, um, then just first notice that you are resisting it, yeah? And that is the first step, you know, rather than um, judging after noticing, you know, just notice that, oh, this judgment comes up. Ah, this, you know, the unworthiness comes up, right? Mm -hmm. And then as the, those you know, unworthiness comes up, like, for example, and this feeling of unworthiness, then you can, you know, ask, you know, um, is it true? Am I, do I not deserve to be loved? You know, you can gently ask whether it is true. And then oftentimes it is not true. <laughs> right, right? And then you can also say, who first spoke that word to you? You know, who said you are not worthy? Was it you? And certainly it wasn't me, you know, it was somebody else, right? It could have been your parents, it could have been your neighbor. I don't know, whoever, somebody else, you know, you know, you know condition you to feel that way. Mm. Then you can, if you have found that person, and then you can ask, was that person happy? Mm. Yeah, and certainly that person wasn't happy at all. <laughs> that person was also the victim of the same kind of treatment. That, that person was treated um, not res not respectfully, you know. Mm -hmm. They were uh, mistreated. Uh, they might have been labeled. Um, so that's why they the same you know hurt they are were feeling, you know, projecting out to other people. Uh, so uh, by asking these questions, you can see that you know uh, maybe the person who hurt me in the past, uh, they themselves were very much hurt and they were very unhappy. And you can in the, send out this uh, prayer of, may you be happy, you know, may I be happy, may you be happy so that we all can be happy. Hmm. I think in the same, um, this is a similar vein, there's the 
practice of being able to receive criticism, receive feedback, um, a willingness to be open to, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily criticism that we want to be open to. I'd be curious to hear what you think about that, Heyman. But, um, you know, it's the idea of (laughs) when things don't go your way in terms of having a hard conversation or like making a mistake at work. I did this yesterday. I made multiple mistakes at work and I just was beating myself up over it instead of being able to, you know, when I'm 40 years old and it's kind of like, gosh, haven't I graduated from this yet? And here I am being this, you know, licking my wounds and beating myself up over a very silly mistake. I mean, nothing actually happened that was insurmountable. I, you know, nobody was hurt, but we're so hard on ourselves for, for making these little mistakes. And I think it's similar to receiving feedback or, or what we might feel like is receiving criticism um you know uh, the first thing we can do is become mindful of the of the fact that we are doing it you know oh i am beating myself up you know i am uh super critical of myself you know right now um and then as soon as you become aware of the very action that you do you can pause you know, the awareness has its own power. And because we are not aware, the train of self-criticism continues to go, you know, <laughs> continues to move. But when we can become aware and catch ourselves, then, ah, I am doing it. And then as we, uh, as we pause and there is a power, you know, we can uh, choose how to uh, respond rather than react. Right, so we can become like if the first important thing is you know become becoming aware that we are doing it, and then from that moment, and we can take a moment to pause, you know some people call it sacred pause, you know mm-hmm. we can just pause and then uh choose how to respond do you think it's um there's a good way to learn to practice the the sacred pause? I think about this often in retrospect, <laughs> where I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't pause there. Um, I just continued to beat myself up. And then I took action based on that fear. So, we, so you reacted. Yes. Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we create space for the pause when we're kind of already going? I mean, in our culture in and of itself, we're already going a million miles a minute. The pause, I feel like is the, the, the key, the, the key ingredient but how do we remember to do it? How do we practice doing it in the first place? Um, there are two ways of doing it. The first one is to become mindful of your own bodily sensation. You know, mm-hmm. As we become uh, like angry, for example, and you may feel you know, there are certain uh, like, you know, temperature of your body, you know, mm-hmm. you, you are gripping, like you, you are, your shoulder is not relaxed or, you know, you are raising your voice, you know. As you are doing it, uh, you can catch yourself, you know, uh, becoming mindful of your own body, bodily sensations. And the second one is life lessons. <laughs> that is, if you just repeat the same mistake again and again and regretting, regretting it, then it comes to a point where, oh, I don't want to repeat that again, you know. Mm-hmm. You naturally will catch yourself, you know, rather than just continuing uh, with your uh, like reactions, 
maybe next time I have done that and that didn't really go like the way I thought it would and maybe now I should maybe take a break <laughs> at least one of the good way is just to say you know I'm gonna take a break and you just go out and walk around for five minutes and come back and then uh, you can reset yourself and you will become um, you will be able to uh, re- have a good conversation you'll be able to talk about it in a different way yeah oh that's so helpful thank you I wanted to hear, you know, I know it's hard to summarize a work such as this when things don't go your way, but I wanted to hear if you could choose maybe three key takeaways from the book, what would they be? Hmm. <laughs> That's a difficult question, but you know, like first foremost is that nothing is final, you know, like uh, everything is open. In, so you don't, you cannot define it, uh, any event in your life as a bad moment. Because uh, it really isn't, you know. As if you are defining as such, then it becomes the bad moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, if you say, "I am going to learn," I will become resilient because of it, uh, and I will become a better person, you know, because of this experience. Uh, it will deep- deepen my compassions. It will deepen my uh, understanding of other people and then the world. Then it will become such a you know uh, you know good experience in a way, mm-hmm. and so um, and then uh, the second thing is you know don't take things personally you know it's very easy to say uh, but it took me a while for me to really truly you know understand why that is the case you know when I first apply uh, for university job you know I got a you know couple of um, I was accepted. No, uh, I was listed as finalist of like five different places. And then uh, the first you know, place that I really, really, really wanted to go, uh, wanted to you know, teach, uh, they wanted me to come and interview. So I went there. Uh, I, I did my best. You know, I gave a you know, decent you know, lecture. I tried to uh, have a good uh, conversations with uh, faculty there, um, and then uh, later on, I was you know basically got a rejection in you know, an email. You know, basically, they chose somebody else, and at that time, you know, I was devastated. I felt like I was a loser, <laughs> and they didn't like me because the way I talk or the way I, you know, appear. I don't know. You know, I I just blame myself. You know, I was not good enough, basically. You know, and that's why they chose somebody else. And then in, when I became, you know, college professors uh, and I saw the other side, you know, of the selecting process, that is when um, people are you know, beginning to compare, you know, which one to invite and become uh, part of our faculty member. Um, oftentimes, the criteria that they choose is not objective at all. It is just personal preference, mm. you know, whatever they feel very, you know, familiar with. You know, if you are familiar with this, then you feel like that is good. You know, it isn't because, you know, objectively good. It is just simply familiar to you. So we tend to choose, you know, something that is familiar and begin to feel that that is a good thing. Uh, so if the person did not choose you, you feel like you are rejected, then 
keep in mind that it wasn't you know, a good match, you know, nothing more, you know. Uh, so um, you don't have to take it you know, personally uh, because uh, all those preference has been set long before you met them, you know. They already had that personal preference. They have their own bias and their own pet peeve and their own, you know, uh, preference. And then um, third one is, uh, that is, uh, we tend to imagine happiness as a, like, you know, achieving milestone event, whether you graduate from, you know, a really good university or, you know, marrying, you know, a person of your you know, dream or having a child or, you know, promoting to uh, high positions. Uh, however, um, I think, I believe that, um, we can also, uh, you know, look for micro moments, you know, little things that's going to surely make you feel happy. Uh, so I, I think happiness has a lot to do with appreciations and gratitude. So if we can just truly appreciate the present moment, you know, then um, you will see a lot of wonderful things. You know, a cup of coffee, you know, very nice taste of a coffee, and <laughs> or the you know beautiful um, fall foliage or snow on the ground. You know, having a nice conversation with your friends, uh, or you know the the for me, I love to make guacamole. You know, <laughs> whenever I make the perfect guacamole, I feel so happy. <laughs> you know, you know, like a little thing that makes you feel like you know really you know happy. And somebody said that. The, they they love to go to bakery and smell the you know bread you know freshly baked bread, or you know some if you are to organize your socks neatly you know in your drawer, you know it makes you feel happy, you know it doesn't take a long time, you know so life is you know all about those micro moments I believe, and mm. so if you can uh, find joy in little things, and that's where the happiness is. You don't have to wait, you know, for several years for this milestone event to you know, occur. Uh, instead, you can actually uh, enjoy it right now. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to go organize my sock drawer and make myself the perfect shot of espresso. Uh, <laughs> those things also bring me so much joy. <laughs> um, I think the last question I wanted to ask you is you brought up gratitude, Heyman. I, there's so much research out right now about the the vast benefits of having a gratitude practice. And um, it's, you know, it's a simple thing to say, but just like the sacred pause, it's, it's a practice of developing the practice of practicing gratitude. So how would you suggest getting started about reminding oneself to have a gratitude practice? Are there certain tangible things that you would suggest somebody start to implement in their life? Right. Uh, actually, I talk about it in the in my book. You know, when things don't go your way, uh, because um, what's interesting is that the reason why we are so unhappy is because not necessarily what happened, but because our reaction to what happened. Right. So if we are resisting it, yeah, and then that creates stress. You know. And we are resisting event or, you know, people or circumstance. Uh, or another, you know, reaction is we want to go grasp it. 
know, we want to go get what we want uh, more than uh, what we already have. So if our mind is trying to either go and get, grasp something that we don't have, or resist something that we, we are having right now, and that creates suffering. So these two tendency, the mind's tendency, either grasping or resisting, you know, um, in order for those two tendency to uh, stop, thereby pausing our uh, suffering, uh, is to cultivate gratitude. Because when we feel grateful, uh, we don't necessarily try to go and look for something that we don't have. We are grateful for what we already have. Right? And then we do not resist what's already happened. We are grateful for uh, all the things that has happened in my life. Right? So um, in order to practice this, there are a couple of things you can do. You know, one of the easiest ways for me is to um, texting it to myself. <laughs> You know, so if you are doing, uh, you know, if you have a WhatsApp or, you know, whatever the, uh, the medium that you talk to, you just, you know, text it, you know, whenever you feel grateful for, you know, whenever you feel gratitude. So, uh, or you can have a gratitude buddy that is, you know, you and your friends decide that we will just, you know, text to each other whenever we feel grateful for, you know, grateful. So um, you will just send the text message and, then you, and you'll be encouraged by your friends because mm -hmm. you see your friend is, you know, grateful for this and ah, maybe I'm also grateful for that too, you know. So um, having grateful uh, gratitude buddy and then keep texting to each other, it can be one way. And another way is if you just uh, pick up like small beautiful pebble and then put it in your living room, and then as you walk by, and whenever you see that particular pebble, you think of one grateful thing at that mm. moment. Yeah, yeah, you mm. commit to it. You know, I say, ah. And some people say you can also put that pebble in your pocket. So whenever you try to take your, uh, I don't know, wallet out, then you touch that pebbles, and then you think about you know one grateful things you can do. Uh, and, so there, there is like many ways that, of course, you can write, you know, do the journaling, you know, right before you go to sleep, you, you can uh, write, you know, three things that you can uh, do. And another way is um, really um, sincerely, you know, say thank you, you know, whenever you see uh, or meet, you know, somebody who's helping you, you know, whether it's at the gas stations or supermarket or coffee shop, you know, and then just, you know, heartfelt, you know, thank thanks to them, uh, if you say to them out loud, and this will also create very nice, positive interactions. Mm -hmm. uh, we have that kind of moments of, uh, you know, happy interaction. That's when we feel like really happy. So mm -hmm. uh, you become, you know, more grateful and happier. Those are great suggestions. I love, I'm so glad I asked you that question. Thank you, Heyman. Um, so final logistical question, where do you like people to uh, connect with you the most in, in the socials, website, Twitter, Instagram? Well, it's not Twitter anymore. X. I guess it's X. I don't know how to say that anymore. <laughs> where do you like to connect with people? Um, Instagram will be great. You know, so if you just look for Hae Min Sunim, H-A-E-M-I-N, 
and on the line S-U-N-I-M. Uh, just you can uh, look for me and then you can connect with me there. <laughs> and then uh, also, um, if you can read the book and leave a nice comment, then I will surely read it. <laughs> and that's a good way to connect with me too. Great. Thank you so much, Heyman. It's been such a joy and pleasure to speak with you today. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us. There's my there's my first official gratitude practice of, of the day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.